This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Lone Star Ranger by Zane Gray. Chapter 6. Next morning Duane found that a moody and despondent spell had fastened on him. Wishing to be alone, he went out and walked a trail, leading round the river bluff. He thought and thought. After a while he made out that the trouble with him probably was that he could not resign himself to his fate. He abhorred the possibility chance seemed to hold in store for him. He could not believe there was no hope. But what to do appeared beyond his power to tell. Duane had intelligence and keenness enough to see his peril, the danger threatening his character as a man, just as much as that which threatened his life. He cared vastly more, he discovered, for what he considered honor and integrity than he did for life. He saw that it was bad for him to be alone. But, it appeared, lonely months and perhaps years inevitably must be his. Another thing puzzled him. In the bright light of day he could not recall the state of mind that was his at twilight or dusk or in the dark night. By day these visitations became to him what they really were, phantoms of his conscience. He could dismiss the thought of them then. He could scarcely remember or believe that this strange feat of fancy or imagination had troubled him, pained him, made him sleepless and sick. That morning Duane spent an unhappy hour wrestling decision out of the unstable condition of his mind. But at length he determined to create interest in all that he came across, and so forget himself as much as possible. He had an opportunity now to see just what the outlaw's life really was. He meant to force himself to be curious, sympathetic, clear-sighted and he would stay there in the valley until its possibilities had been exhausted, or until circumstances sent him out upon his uncertain way. When he returned to the shack, Euchre was cooking dinner. "'Say, Buck, I've news for you,' he said, and his tone conveyed either pride in his possession of such news, or pride in Duane. "'Feller named Bradley rode in this morning. He's heard some about you.' told about the ace of spades they put over the bullet holes in that cowpuncher bane you plugged. Then there was a rancher shot at a water hole twenty miles south of Wellston. Reckon you didn't do it? No, I certainly did not, replied Duane. Well, you get the blame. It ain't nothing for a feller to be saddled with gun plays he never made. And, Buck, if you ever get famous, as seems likely, You'll be blamed for many a crime. The border'll make an outlaw and murderer out of you. Well, that's enough of that. I've more news. You're going to be popular. Popular? What do you mean? I met Bland's wife this morning. She seen you the other day when you rode in. She sure wants to meet you, and so do some of the other women in camp. They always want to meet the new fellers who just come in. It's lonesome for women here, and they like to hear news from the towns. Well,
Well, Euchre, I don't want to be impolite, but I'd rather not meet any women, rejoined Duane. I was afraid you wouldn't. Don't blame you much. Women are hell. I was hoping, though, you might talk a little to that poor lonesome kid. What kid? inquired Duane in surprise. Didn't I tell you about Jenny, the girl Bland's holding here? The one Jackrabbit Benson had a hand in stealing? You mentioned a girl, that's all. Tell me now, replied Duane abruptly. Well, I got it this way. Maybe it's straight, maybe it ain't. Some years ago, Benson made a trip over the river to buy a muscal and other drinks. He'll sneak over there once in a while. And as I get it, he run across a gang of greasers with some gringo prisoners. I don't know, but I reckon there was some barterin', perhaps murderin'. Anyway, Benson fetched the girl back. She was more dead than alive but it turned out she was only starved and scared half to death. She hadn't been harmed. I reckon she was then about fourteen years old. Benson's idea, he said, was to use her in his den selling drinks and the like. But I never went on Jackrabbit's word. Bland seen the kid right off and took her. Bought her from Benson. You can gamble Bland didn't do that from notions of chivalry. I ain't gainsayin', however, but that Jenny was better off with Kate Bland. She's been hard on Jenny, but she's kept Bland and the other men from treatin' the kid shameful. Late Jenny has growed into an all-fire pretty girl, and Kate is powerful jealous of her. I can see hell brewin' over there in Bland's cabin. That's why I wish you'd come over with me. Bland's hardly ever home. His wife's invited you. Sure, as she gets sweet on you, as she has on, well, that'd complicate matters. But you get to see Jenny, and maybe you could help her. Mind, I ain't hintin' nothin'. I just wantin' to put her in your way. You're a man that can think for yourself. I had a baby girl once, and if she'd live, she'd be as big as Jenny now. And by God, I wouldn't want her here in Bland's camp. "'I'll go, Euchre. Take me over,' replied Duane. He felt Euchre's eyes upon him. The old outlaw, however, had no more to say. In the afternoon Euchre set off with Duane, and soon they reached Bland's cabin. Duane remembered it as the one where he had seen the pretty woman watching him ride by. He could not recall what she looked like. The cabin was the same as the other adobe structures in the valley, but it was larger and pleasantly located rather high up in a grove of cottonwoods. In the windows and upon the porch were evidences of a woman's hand. Through the open door Duane caught a glimpse of bright Mexican blankets and rugs. Euchre knocked upon the side of the door. "'Is that you, Euchre?' asked a girl's voice, low, hesitatingly. The tone of it, rather deep and with a note of fear, struck Duane. He wondered what she would be like. "'Yes, it's me, Jenny. Where's Mrs. Bland?' answered Euchre. "'She went over to Dagger's. There's somebody sick,' replied the girl. Euchre turned and whispered something about luck. 
The snap of the outlaw's eyes was added significance to Duane. "'Janet, come out, or let us come in. Here's the young man I was telling you about,' Euchre said. "'Oh, I can't. I look so—so—' so... "'Never mind how you look,' interrupted the outlaw in a whisper. "'It ain't no time to care for that. Here's young Duane. Jenny, he's no rustler, no thief. He's different. Come out, Jenny, and maybe he'll—' Euchre did not complete his sentence. He had spoken low, with his glance shifting from side to side. But what he said was sufficient to bring the girl quickly. She appeared in the doorway with downcast eyes and a stain of red in her white cheek. She had a pretty, sad face and bright hair. "'Don't be bashful, Jenny,' said Euchre. "'You and Twain have a chance to talk a little. Now I'll go fetch Mrs. Blam, but I won't be hurrying.' With that, Euchre went away through the cottonwoods. "'I'm glad to meet you, Miss—Miss Miss Jenny,' said Duane. "'Euchre didn't mention your last name. He asked me to come over to—' Duane's attempt at pleasantry halted short when Jenny lifted her lashes to look at him. Some kind of a shock went through Duane. Her gray eyes were beautiful, but it had not been beauty that cut short his speech. He seemed to see a tragic struggle between hope and doubt that shone in her piercing gaze. She kept looking, and Duane could not break the silence. It was no ordinary moment. "'What did you come here for?' she asked at last. "'To see you,' replied Duane. "'Why?' "'Well, Euchre thought he wanted me to talk to you, cheer you up a bit replied Duane, somewhat lamely. The earnest eyes embarrassed him. "'Euchre's good. He's the only person in this awful place who's been good to me. But he's afraid of Bland. He said you were different. Who are you?' Duane told her. "'You're not a robber or a rustler or murderer or some bad man come here to hide?' "'No, I'm not,' replied Duane trying to smile. "'Then why are you here?' "'I'm on the dodge. You know what that means. I got in a shooting scrape at home and had to run off. When it blows over, I hope to go back.' "'But you can't be honest here?' "'Yes, I can. Oh, I know what these outlaws are. Yes, you're different.' She kept the strained gaze upon him, but hope was kindling, and the hard lines of her youthful face were softening. Something sweet and warm stirred deep in Duane as he realized the unfortunate girl was experiencing a birth of trust in him. "'Oh, God, maybe you're the man to save me, to take me away before it's too late.' Duane's spirit leaped. "'Maybe I am.' he replied instantly. She seemed to check a blind impulse to run into his arms. Her cheek flamed, her lips quivered, her bosom swelled under her ragged dress. Then the glow began to fade. Doubt once more assailed her. "'It can't be. You're only—' "'After me, too, like Bland, like all of them.' Twain's long arms went out, and his hands clasped her shoulders. He shook her. Look at me, straight in the eye. 
there are decent men. Haven't you a father, a brother? They're dead, killed by raiders. We lived in Dimmick County. I was carried away, Jenny replied hurriedly. She put up an appealing hand to him. Forgive me. I believe. I know you're good. I was only... I live so much in fear. I'm half crazy. I've almost forgotten what good men are like, Mr. Twain. You'll help me? Yes, Jenny, I will. Tell me how. What must I do? Have you any plan? Oh, no, but take me away. I'll try, said Duane simply. That won't be easy, though. I must have time to think. You must help me. There are many things to consider. Horses, food, trails, and then the best time to make the attempt. Are you watched, kept prisoner? No, I could have run off lots of times, but I was afraid. I'd only have fallen into worse hands. Euchre has told me that. Mrs. Bland beats me, half-starves me, but she has kept me from her husband and these other dogs. She's been as good as that, and I'm grateful. She hasn't done it for love of me, though. She always hated me, and lately she's growing jealous. There was a man came here by the name of Spence, so he called himself. He tried to be kind to me, but she wouldn't let him. She was in love with him. She's a bad woman. Bland finally shot Spence, and that ended that. She's been jealous ever since. I hear her fighting with Bland about me. She swears she'll kill me before he gets me. And Bland laughs in her face. Then I've heard Chess Alloway try to persuade Bland to give me to him. But Bland doesn't laugh then. Just lately, before Bland went away, things almost came to a head. I couldn't sleep. I wish Mrs. Bland would kill me. I'll certainly kill myself if they ruin me. Duane, you must be quick if you'd save me. I realize that, replied he thoughtfully. I think my difficulty will be to fool Mrs. Bland. If she suspected me, she'd have the whole gang of outlaws on me at once. She would that. You've got to be careful and quick. What kind of woman is she? inquired Duane. She's... she's brazen. I've heard her with her lovers. They get drunk sometimes when Bland's away. She's got a terrible temper. She's vain. She likes flattery. Oh, you could fool her easy enough if you'd lower yourself to... to... To make love to her? interrupted Duane. Jenny bravely turned shamed eyes to meet his. "'My girl, I'd do worse than that to get you away from here,' he said bluntly. "'But, Duane,' she faltered, and again she put out the appealing hand. "'Bland will kill you.' Duane made no reply to this. He was trying to still a rising strange tumult in his breast. The old emotion, the rush of an instinct to kill— he turned cold all over. "'Chess Alloway will kill you if Bland doesn't,' went on Jenny, with her tragic eyes on Duane's. "'Maybe he will,' replied Duane. It was difficult for him to force a smile, but he achieved one. "'Oh, better take me off at once,' 
she said, save me without risking so much, without making love to Mrs. Bland. Surely, if I can. There, I see Euchre coming with a woman. That's her. Oh, she mustn't see me with you. Wait a moment, whispered Duane as Jenny slipped indoors. We've settled it. Don't forget. I'll find some way to get word to you, perhaps through Euchre. Meanwhile, keep up your courage. Remember, I'll save you somehow. We'll try a strategy first. Whatever you see or hear me do, don't think less of me. Jenny checked him with a gesture and a wonderful gray flash of eyes. I'll bless you with every drop of blood in my heart, she whispered passionately. It was only as she turned away into the room that Duane saw she was lame, and that she wore Mexican sandals over bare feet. He sat down upon a bench on the porch and directed his attention to the approaching couple. The trees of the grove were thick enough for him to make reasonably sure that Mrs. Bland had not seen him talking to Jenny. When the outlaw's wife drew near, Duane saw that she was a tall, strong, full-bodied woman, rather good-looking, with a full-blown, bold attractiveness. Duane was more concerned with her expression than with her good looks, and as she looked unsuspicious he felt relieved. The situation then took on a singular zest. Euchre came up on the porch and awkwardly introduced Duane to Mrs. Bland. She was young, probably not over twenty-five, and not quite so prepossessing at close range. Her eyes were large, rather prominent, and brown in color. Her mouth, too, was large, with the lips full, and she had white teeth. Duane took her proffered hand and remarked frankly that he was glad to meet her. Mrs. Bland appeared pleased, and her laugh, which followed, was loud and rather musical. "'Mr. Duane, Buck Duane,' Euchre said, didn't he?' she asked. "'Buckley,' corrected Duane. The nickname's not of my choosing. "'I'm certainly glad to meet you, Buckley Duane,' she said, as she took the seat Duane offered her. "'Sorry to have been out. Kid Fuller's lying over at Dagger's. You know he was shot last night. He's got fever today. When Bland's away I have to nurse all these shot-up boys, and it sure takes my time. Have you been waiting here alone?' didn't see that slattern girl of mine she gave him a sharp glance the woman had an extraordinary play of feature Twain thought and unless she was smiling was not pretty at all i've been alone replied Twain. haven't seen anybody but a sick-looking girl with a bucket and she ran when she saw me that was jen said mrs bland She's the kid we keep here, and she hardly pays her keep. Did Euchre tell you about her? Now that I think of it, he did say something or other. What did he tell you about me? bluntly asked Mrs. Bland. Well, Kate, replied Euchre, speaking for himself, you needn't worry none, for I told Buck nothing but compliments. Evidently the outlaw's wife liked Euchre for her keen glance rested with amusement upon him. "'As for Jan, I'll tell you her story some day,' went on the woman. "'It's a common enough story along this river. Yuka here is a tender-hearted old fool, and Jan has taken him in.' 
"'Well, seeing as how you got me figured correct,' replied Euchre dryly, "'I'll go in and talk to Jenny, if I may.' "'Certainly. Go ahead. Jan calls you her best friend,' said Mrs. Bland amiably. "'You're always fetching some Mexican stuff, and that's why, I guess.' When Euchre had shuffled into the house, Mrs. Bland turned to Duane with curiosity and interest in her gaze. "'Bland told me about you.' "'What did he say?' queried Duane in pretended alarm. "'Oh, you needn't think he's done you dirt. Bland's not that kind of a man. He said, "'Kate, there's a young fellow in camp, rode in here on the dodge. He's no criminal, and he refused to join my band. Wish he would. Slickest hand with a gun I've seen for many a day. I'd like to see him and Chess meet out there in the road.' Then Bland went on to tell how you and Bossomer came together. "'What did you say?' inquired Duane as she paused. "'Me? Why, I asked him what you looked like,' she replied gaily. "'Well,' went on Duane, "'Magnificent chap,' Bland said. "'Bigger than any man in the valley. Just a great blue-eyed, sunburned boy.' Huh! exclaimed Duane. I'm sorry he led you to expect somebody worth seeing. But I'm not disappointed, she returned archly. Duane, are you going to stay here long in camp? Yes, till I run out of money and have to move. Why? Mrs. Bland's face underwent one of the singular changes. The smiles and flushes and glances, all that had been coquettish about her, had lent her a certain attractiveness, almost beauty and youth, but with some powerful emotion she changed and instantly became a woman of discontent, Duane imagined, of deep, violent nature. "'I'll tell you, Duane,' she said earnestly, "'I'm sure glad if you mean to bide here a while. I'm a miserable woman, Duane. I'm an outlaw's wife, and I hate him and the life I have to lead. I come of a good family in Brownsville.' I never knew Bland was an outlaw till long after he married me. We were separated at times, and I imagined he was away on business. But the truth came out. Bland shot my own cousin, who told me. My family cast me off, and I had to flee with Bland. I was only eighteen then. I've lived here since. I never see a decent woman or man. I never hear anything about my old home or folks or friends. I'm buried here, buried alive with a lot of thieves and murderers. Can you blame me for being glad to see a young fellow, a gentleman, like the boys I used to go with? I tell you, it makes me feel full. I want to cry. I'm sick for somebody to talk to. I have no children, thank God. And if I had, I'd not stay here. I'm sick of this hole. I'm lonely." There appeared to be no doubt about the truth of all this. Genuine emotion checked, then halted the hurried speech. She broke down and cried. It seemed strange to Duane that an outlaw's wife, and a woman who fitted her consort and the wild nature of their surroundings, should have weakness enough to weep. Duane believed and pitied her. "'I'm sorry for you,' he said. "'Don't be sorry for me,' she said. That only makes me see the 
the difference between you and me. And don't pay any attention to what these outlaws say about me. They're ignorant. They couldn't understand me. You'll hear that Bland killed men who ran after me, but that's a lie. Bland, like all the other outlaws along this river, is always looking for somebody to kill. He swears not, but I don't believe him. He explains that gunplay gravitates to men who are the real thing, that it is provoked by the four flushes, the bad man. I don't know. All I know is that somebody's being killed every other day. He hated Spence before Spence ever saw me. Would Bland object if I called on you occasionally? inquired Duane. No, he wouldn't. He likes me to have friends. Ask him yourself when he comes back. The trouble has been that two or three of his men fell in love with me, and when half drunk got to fighting. You're not going to do that. I'm not going to get half drunk, that's certain, replied Duane. He was surprised to see her eyes dilate, then glow with fire. Before she could reply, Euchre returned to the porch, and that put an end to the conversation. Duane was content to let the matter rest there, and had little more to say. Euchre and Mrs. Bland talked and joked, while Duane listened. He tried to form some estimate of her character. Manifestly, she had suffered a wrong, if not worse, at Bland's hands. She was bitter, morbid, over-emotional. If she was a liar, which seemed likely enough, she was a frank one and believed herself. She had no cunning. The thing which struck Duane so forcibly was that she thirsted for respect. In that, better than in her weakness of vanity, he thought he had discovered a trait through which he could manage her. Once, while he was revolving these thoughts, he happened to glance into the house, and deep in the shadow of a corner he caught a pale gleam of Jenny's face with great, staring eyes on him. She had been watching him, listening to what he said. He saw from her expression that she had realized what had been so hard for her to believe. Watching his chance, he flashed a look at her, and then it seemed to him the change in her face was wonderful. Later, after he had left Mrs. Bland with a meaning, Adios, manana, and was walking along beside the old outlaw, he found himself thinking of the girl instead of the woman, and of how he had seen her face blaze with hope and gratitude. End of chapter.